the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we deal with the aftermath of violence and as we come to grips with the, I don't know, the loss of innocence in some way of one of our communities, we were thinking of guests that we have gotten to know over the years who we felt could most, I don't know, effectively communicate. Yeah, and understand where we are. You know, kind of someone who's already been there and recognizes the the stages of grief and the difficulties the communities go through uh, when dealing with something like this. And so we thought of Dr. Robert Wicks, and we're so happy he was able to join us today. Dr. Robert J. Wicks is Professor Emeritus at Loyola University in Maryland. He's published more than 50 books for professionals and the general public, including Perspective, The Calm Within the Storm. But the reason we love him is that he's lectured and talked to us specifically on the importance of resilience and self-care and maintaining a healthy perspective to those who have suffered trauma. Dr. Wicks, we're glad you're here. It's good to be back, although under these circumstances, it's tough. Yes. Thank you, Doctor. Doctor, I was walking around the Squirrel Hill neighborhood today where the murders took place on Saturday, and people uh, initially, I believe, early in the morning were wary of each other. There was, um, and this is just me playing, you know, the armchair psychiatrist, there's a skittishness about the neighborhood. Is it possible for entire communities to have some PTSD? Is that even a thing? Sure. What happens is is that we tend to walk through life uh, with a, a bubble around us that essentially says that we're safe, everything is normal, we don't have to worry about anything. When that bubble bursts and we begin to see what can happen, we become hypersensitive and and realize that there is no ultimate security or safety and if it can happen in our neighborhood or in our uh, synagogue or shul or church it can happen anywhere Mm -hmm. dr wicks talk about i mean i don't even know if there's enough time for you to detail the experience you've had and the kind of situations that you have dealt with but maybe you know give us you know a uh a bird's eye view of the type of uh, places you visited and the people who you have helped and talked with after trauma. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the places most recently was to go into Beirut to, to work with Christian helpers that were living and working in Aleppo, Syria. And they were brought to Beirut so I could speak to them about resilience. And uh, it was a little difficult for me because you can't use humor or nuance, given the fact that um, uh, I was speaking through an interpreter, Mm -hmm. Arabic interpreter in the back of the room. But I would watch their faces, and, and in their faces, if they lit up, then I would see what would, you know, what seemed to be striking them the most. 
And what seemed to be striking them the most was two things. And it was a circle of grace for me because it made me realize even what's more important. And it was friendship and prayer. Hmm. Uh, To see their sense of valuing friendship. Uh, I remember Henry Nowen, who I knew many years ago, he wrote a book called Making All Things New, and he Mm -hmm. said we can take a lot of physical and even mental pain when we know that it truly makes us a part of the life we live together in the world. But when we feel cut off from the human family, we can lose heart. But I think for them, friendship was more than that. There's a Cameroonian proverb that goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And and, and when you see what that friendship can do, even from strangers, I, uh, I, I didn't suffer like the others, so I don't think too much about my days as a Marine Corps officer. However, the following story came my way, and it's, it's very brief, which reflects esprit de corps and is the bedrock of resilience for me. So let me share it quickly. Yes. A nurse took the tired, anxious serviceman to the bedside, and he said, your son's here. Uh, and, and the old man had to, had to have it repeated to him several times because he was heavily sedated because he had had a heart attack. And he dimly saw the young Marine standing outside the oxygen tent. And he reached out his hand, and the Marine grabbed it with his tough hand. And the nurse brought a chair so the Marine could sit beside the bed. And all through the night, the young Marine sat there in the poorly lit ward holding the guy's hand. And occasionally, the nurse came in and suggested, you know, why don't you move away? And he refused. And whenever she came back, he was oblivious of the noise, you know, the the oxygen tanks, the laughter of the staff members, uh, the cries and moans of other patients. And then, you know, she'd hear him say some gentle words, and then toward the morning, the man died, and the Marine released his hand and told the nurse, and she did what she did. And finally, she returns and, and, and starts to offer words of sympathy, but the Marine interrupted her with the question, who was that man? <laughs> and startled by the question, the nurse said, well, he was your father. He said, no, he wasn't. Uh, I've never saw him before in my life. And she said, well, why didn't you say something when I took you to him? And he said, I knew right away that there had been a mistake, but I also knew he needed his son. And his son just wasn't there for him. Mm. And when I realized that he was too sick to tell whether or not I was his son, knowing how much he needed me, I stayed. And the basic lesson is the next time someone needs you, just be there, stay. Mm. And that's, that's the key thing is is the willingness to be present to people. You know, it's like the little girl who who was late coming home from school and the mom said to her, you know, where were you? And she said, I was helping a friend. And she said, well, what did you do for her? And she said, I sat down next to her and helped her cry. The reality is this presence is what's needed in the, in the community that, that you walk through today. And it's it's absent to some degree, because people are cautious, like you picked up. I'm talking to Dr. Robert J. Wicks. Um, he's the author of a book we love called Night Call, Embracing Compassion and Hope in a Troubled World. So because we are so fragile right now as a community, Dr. Wicks, uh-huh. uh, the funerals are going on right now. Actually, even as we speak, the president is here with his wife, and there's protesters, which adds another layer of complexity and tension to the whole thing. How do you find 
that silence or that peace or that that permission to find that silence and peace in the midst of all this turmoil when I think some people I've talked to were like, well, I didn't know anybody who was murdered. You know, um, it's not necessarily my group or my tribe of people, but I'm still affected. And that's okay to feel that way, isn't it? Well, it's natural to feel that way because often uh, it's the closeness to your own self, your own community uh, that 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 you know affects you more deeply. But the reality is 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 that you know most religions are community oriented, and and all of a sudden you begin to realize that the, these people are close to you, that mm-hmm. they are part of your community. Uh, you know, I remember hearing a story by a philosopher, and he said when he was very young, he was Jewish, and he said he remembers being tackled by somebody and knocked down, and the guy was beating his head against the, the ground saying, you know, you killed my God. And he said, I, I didn't even know what he was talking about. That kind of division between Christian and Jewish people, or between any of us in America, is, is not a reflection of what the heart of Christianity mm-hmm. is, the heart of Judaism is, or any religion for that matter. Right, so, and I, I'm very glad to hear you say that, and of course that resonates with how John and I um, view this, yet at the same time it's so hard to... Um, I mean, all of us are going. We are capable of saying the wrong thing at any time, <laughs> and and so even with our most, uh, you know, putting our best foot forward, we're talking culture to culture in 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 the Squirrel Hill community. Doctor Wicks, um, there's often a lot of a there's a division between Jew and Gentile, um, depending mm-hmm. on what variety of Judaism you're talking about, and so it does make it hard sometimes to have meaningful conversations. We we had a rabbi on our show yesterday, uh, Aaron Bisno, and. Uh, I what you know before he came on the air, I was thinking, you know, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I, I, he came on, and I said, I, there's nothing else. I, can, I I just want you to know how sorry I am. And he said, it was such a wonderful response. I, I was thinking about it all night. He said that matters. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, maybe it is. Maybe it is that simple. You know, we try to come up with the perfect thing to say, or we're so afraid to say the wrong thing that we don't want to say anything. When really, I just said that I was sorry, and I am. But to him, hearing that from me, from a Gentile, from someone outside his community, that mattered. Yeah, yeah. It, see, I think that, and that was the right thing to say because what you were saying is that 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 no matter what what differences you might have man woman uh jew gentile the, there's a basic sense of affinity for his pain and uh and of course we can't say the right thing and you, you can hear crazy things said at funerals you know uh it's god's will i mean <laughs> just, you know when a child dies that's not the thing to say you know but 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 what happens is if they can feel that you're reaching out to feel their pain, uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing, offering space for them. When I was at, just a, a few months back, I was at Dover Air Force Base working with the unit responsible for fallen military and support of their families. And there was a child who just couldn't grasp the fact that his dad was dead. And, and he said, well, who's going to play ball with me now? And one of the volunteers was there from his neighborhood, and he said, well, I will. 
And the question is the fact that you offered the rabbi space on your show, the fact that you said you're sorry, um, that's, that's, that's the gift, the sense of presence. It doesn't seem like enough. Well, it, ne- it never does seem like enough, and, and that's the danger. You know, the danger is that, that um, you know, we feel that because we can't figure out to say the exact right thing, that, that we'll do nothing at all. And I think admitting that you're lost for words and you don't understand the situation or you know uh you know some of the traditions but 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 your heart is aching uh is 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 enough is enough i would liken to where we are right now in the city of pittsburgh with where we were with the rest of the country after 9-11. It seems as though we are at that fragile point. I was coming out of a door today, um, and someone held the door for me, which is, you know, not unusual, but I'm super conscious of it. There is a particular politeness and an almost um, a balm of wanting to connect and care for one another. But, you know, like 9-11, and of course this is well, at some point soon in the near future, we'll forget that and just go on with our regular lives. But would it would be so, this is not necessarily a question, Doctor, it's just an observation, would it be so that we were so caring and fragile and connected mm-hmm. to each other on a more regular basis? Well, that's why I think one of the key words from Judaism is remember, remember, and, and, and that's very, very important. When I was in Las Vegas a couple of weeks back for the, the year anniversary of their mass shooting, their, their saying was, hope grows here. That was their, their motto, but, but they began it by showing some of the carnage and showing the brokenness. And when we see the brokenness, we realize then that suffering need not be the last word. It can be the first word in greater depth. My my daughter had the severe scoliosis when she was young and had 13 levels of her spine fused. And, and, and people would say after her surgery, where they put an iron bar up her back, they said, oh, is she better? But life isn't, chron- isn't acute, it's chronic. Mm. And, you know, she she crawled into the house in university, and we had to have the rod taken out. She almost died during her second pregnancy, and recently she went in for a day procedure and was in there for five days. But what she did with that suffering is rather than make it herself bitter, she let it soften her soul. And she told me, you know, years ago that she always wanted to be a Marine Corps officer like I was, and I was very surprised. And mm. She said, but I said, well, what are you going to do about it? And she said, what I'm going to do is become a social worker for the VA. And she has. And recently, someone came in who had a leg blown off, and she greeted him with the warmth that only someone who can, has been through suffering. I, I, I couldn't do it like she did it. And he said, boy, you're perky. And she looked right back at him and said, you've served our country well. Now you come on in and let us know what we can do for you. Hmm. That kind of memory of suffering need not be depressing. It actually can be something that can really encourage us to be present in better ways. Oh, that's so good. So the memory of suffering in some ways will sustain us and help us do better. So how do you, you know, your daughter, obviously, uh, 
very in, very intentional in that memory of suffering. But then, how as a society do you do that? I mean, is that what, is that what memorials are for to take us back to that memory? That, that's a good point. I think you've put your hand on it. You know, but it's how we how we remember. I mean, if we remember simply with loss and bitterness, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't work. We need, in one hand, a sense of reality, that we face what has happened, and we don't spiritualize it, we don't play it down. We simply say it's horrible for what it is. But in the other hand, there must be a sense of openness, openness to to what we call in psychology post-traumatic growth, or openness in a spiritual sense to the recognition that, you know, suffering can call us deeper, you know, if we walk there in the right way with God. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's essential. I mean, the theology of hope requires us to hold on to three things simultaneously. First, the resurrection, but not simply that, otherwise it's a skewed version of charismatic thinking, and you can hear it in some TV evangelists. Everything's positive. The second is the cross, but not simply the cross, because then you're a masochist. And third is the ministry of Jesus, but not simply that, because then you're looking for success rather than focusing on faithfulness. But if you hold on to those three pieces simultaneously, it really does provide us with a hope that doesn't deny pain and suffering, but opens up the door for it allowing us to go deeper as persons and be present to others in ways that others who haven't suffered and transformed it that way can be. That's wonderful. Dr. Wicks, that is so helpful. I can't thank you enough for being with us today. It surely is. Oh, it's an honor. It always is an honor. Thank you. That's Dr. Robert J. Wicks, Professor Emeritus at Loyola University. He's the author of a book that is really wonderful. You should look at it. It's called Night Call, Embracing Compassion and Hope in a Troubled World. Dr. Robert J. Wicks. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.